We're in Revelation chapter 17, verse 7 through 18. Uh, This is a particularly difficult section of Scripture. The whole thing has been difficult, but this is in particular one of the hardest chapters, and I think, of the Bible to decipher. So bear with me as we go through this together. If you would, please stand for reading of God's Word. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and one has yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill its purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Then the woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord, we admit it that this section is particularly difficult, but I think you've given us uh, the ways to decipher the symbolism. You've shown us, you've taught us this, and I think we can have a a pretty good, accurate description of what's going on here. So Holy Spirit, please speak to each one of our hearts, things that we need to know. We need to have a meeting with you today, God. Please fill this place with your spirit, and may we come out of here knowing that we have had contact with the living God. Our God is alive and well, and he reigns in this world. Thank you, Lord, for this time together with the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, you know that the Babylonian religious system from our last time that we were in uh, Revelation, we took a little detour last, last week, but we're back in the book. And you know that that has existed from the Tower of Babel all through time, to today, and you know that it will crescendo in the tribulation period. Crescendo. Now, you know the theme of Revelation. Everybody should have this down by now. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. And Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we say, thank you, Lord, for coming back for us. Now, the first half of the tribulation, there will be a one-world religion that will emerge. We do know that. Uh, What will allow this one world religion to emerge, to flourish. And I will suggest to you this, it'll be the true church that is taken away, I believe, in the rapture of the church, which allows the the restrainer will be taken away, and the Antichrist will then be unrestrained, and this world religion will start out the first three and a half years, and he will do away with them, you'll see in our text today, and he will ascend to power, He will establish the abomination of desolation. He will demand to be worshipped as God. This is all the Babylonian system crescendoing into the tribulation period. So, the true church will be removed at the rapture with the restrainer in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. I'll read that again later in in our lesson. The restrainer, the true church, the Holy Spirit-filled church is the only opposition in our world today that is restraining this Babylonian system from running rampant. It's the only thing holding it back. And we talked about the false religious system in our first teaching in Revelation 17. We talked about the global influence that we'll have. We talked about syncretism, a big fancy word that means the amalgamation of religions, that all religions are together. Remember in the teaching, we had the thing, coexist, and all these world religions screaming, coexist. And we say, no, there's one way to God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot coexist with something that is false. We can be peaceful with them. We can love them. We can tell them the truth of the the right way to God. But we cannot embrace a world system that is patently false. We cannot do that. 
So the Babylonian system, again, has always, always existed. Now, God, interestingly enough, he always has a way of checking Satan. So he's going to rise in the tribulation period with this harlot uh, religious system. But what else will God have on his side, on his team? It'll be the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that evangelize the world, and there'll be an enormous harvest of souls in Revelation 7-9 from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. You want a revival? That'll be the greatest harvest in the history of the world, but it'll be at the most difficult time in the history of the world. We are living, folks, today to see a massive changes in our world. How are we to deal with the incessant lies that keep coming at us? Keep coming at us. Keep coming at us over and over. The indoctrination. Remember we had the, the Rob, Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies, and how we're inundated with incessant lies. We are not getting the truth on the media. We are not getting our truths in the newspapers or in the radio or any, any venue. So you have to be very discerning. And he told us to do three things. I hope you remember this from our last teaching. This is a review. We are to see what's going on around us. We are to judge what's going around us. So we see, we have eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. We, be, we have to be very discerning in this time what we take in as truth. And then we judge, and we judge it according to the Word of God. Does this match the Word of God? And then we, then we are to act, and that act is speak the truth. That is our job in this culture, to speak the truth. And remember, the truth always, always counters the lie. Always counters the lie. So the true church, for it to survive, must stay connected. That'll come up on the screen. Stay connected with one another. I can't tell you how important that is, that we stay connected. What has COVID done? COVID has separated us. There has been, I think there's been a defined decision to try to separate the church, to get the church separated. And we know that there are people that have fallen away and have not ever come, I don't want to fall away from their faith, but they've never come back. They've never come back for fear of, of the COVID. And there's a, there's a design for that. Now, COVID is real, and we have to be careful and that sort of thing. But look, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need each other, and they know we gain strength from one another. So please, stay together. Stay connected. Secondly, solidarity is essential. Isolation is to be avoided at all costs. Let me say that again. Isolation is to be avoided at all costs. Now, you know the world today, the church throughout the world is persecuted. We know that there's more people that have been killed in this last century than all the time through history up to now. More martyrs. We don't see that because we're insulated here in America. But the true church that meets throughout the world, they'll do anything to get together. They will not be isolated. They will go in fields. They will go in caves. They will meet in basements. They will meet in homes. They will meet any place that they can meet. You know that because we've discussed this. But the church in America, if you don't have air conditioning, if the pastor talks too loud, too soft, isn't funny enough, or whatever, they're not coming. Okay? No. The true church, the true church will stay connected. Do anything to stay connected. The truth will counter the lie, and prevent indoctrination. Do I have to repeat that? The truth will counter the lie and prevent indoctrination. When we meet together, we encourage each other with the truth. That is an essential for survival. That is essential for survival. Oh, I forgot this. I put this here for a specific reason. We are taking communion today. If you don't have yours, too bad for you. <laughs> No, you can, well, you, you'll have time to get it. So. so our marching orders today, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Again, this is review. Uh, it, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. And we know the day is approaching. You can almost hear the footsteps of Messiah. The power behind all false religious systems, folks, is Satan. 
And it goes all the way back to the power of Babel, all the way through time, and it will crescendo in the tribulation period. Now, verse 7 and 8, new material, the beast will mesmerize the world. The beast is the Antichrist. The beast, verse 7 and 8. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. And we'll get the symbolism again in a second. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, if you're just doing a casual reading through the book of Revelation, you're going to have one big, what are you talking about here? Well, I think since we've studied this, we know. The seven heads we know from our past teaching, starting all the way back in Daniel, are the seven major kingdoms that have ruled the world and have had dominion over the nation of Israel. So Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. We are in the Roman time now with an east and west division. I'll have more on that in just a second. And then we have the ten-nation confederation. Then Antichrist will come up as the eighth. He'll be of the seven, and he will take over the ten nations. More on that again in just a second. So, there will be a one-world government and a one-world religion, and it will occur at the same time. The ten horns are the ten ruling nations that will emerge, and I believe that, that they will be in place, and Antichrist will take over that system. Now, you know this because we've been through this before, but there's something called the Club of Rome that exists in America today. Now, these are scientists, economists, businessmen, high, high civil servants, heads of states, former heads of states. They're from five continents, and they appear to be altruistic. They're, they appear to be selfless. Now, there is a map that we have here of how the world is split up right now by the Club of Rome, and guess what, into ten ruling areas. Now, these guys don't have a clue what's going on in the book of Revelation. It just happens these are humanists. They think that humanity can save itself, and they push God off to the side that he doesn't exist, and the human is the highest form that, that exists. This is, is rank humanism. So these ten ruling areas will gain control over the earth, and we'll see that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. I won't read it now because I will read it in just a few minutes. So, Antichrist will gain full control of this ten-nation confederation after, this, now listen to this, after, I believe, the Antichrist is killed, and then he's raised from the dead by Satan, he's indwelt by Satan, he then insists on being worshipped as God with the abomination of desolation. This will happen in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in. Okay? So the Antichrist will be killed, resurrected, and the world will be mesmerized by him, uh, facilitating his takeover of the system. Now, this thing that he was and is and is not and that sort of thing, just follow me for just a second. He was... That was his original appearance. He is not. He's no longer in existence. means that he's dead. He suffered a wound. We saw that in Revelation 13.3. He dies and he goes down into the pit. He will ascend. That's the resurrection that, that Satan will, will do. But don't forget, allowed by God. Allowed by God. And then he will go to perdition. That means destruction. He'll meet his destruction. When? When Jesus comes back to this earth. And he comes back to this earth. The false father, Satan, will raise the counterfeit son copying God. Isn't that amazing? Satan is a copycat. Now, who are mesmerized by this? Who are mesmerized? Who's, who marvel with this? Those not written in the book of life. Those earth dwellers in the tribulation. Now, we've been through the book of life before, but just a quick review for you. 
The book of life contains the names of all the people that were ever born on the earth. That is Psalm 139.16. When you come to believe in Messiah, when you come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your name is retained in the book of life. If you reject Jesus, and you have to reject over and over and over and over because God is persistent, then your name will be extracted. Then you'll end up at the great white throne judgment. Your destiny will be the lake of fire, hell, separation from God forever. Whatever you do, make sure your name is registered in the book of life. That happens by simply believing and receiving the gift of salvation. We've been through that a whole bunch of times, so I won't belabor that. So verse 9 through 11, the kingdoms of this world revisited. Now we're going to see this more extensively explained. Here is the mind which has wisdom, Sophia, the ability to, to apply the knowledge that we gain. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And you're wondering, what is going on here? And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was, he was alive, is not dead, is himself also the eighth, is of the seven, and is going to perdition. He'll end up being destroyed. So let's figure out exactly what's going on here. Is anybody tracking with me yet? I mean, track with me, please track. Again, the seven heads, the seven mountains, the seven kingdoms are seven kings and their kingdoms. Remember, that's, again, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Ten-Nation Confederation. Five have fallen. Well, what has fallen? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. What is in existence? Rome is still in existence with the east-west division of the legs, of the legs. And I'm going to point that out in just a second. The beast is the eighth. He is of the seventh. He's just like the other seven kingdoms. All of them have a worldview that is contrary to God. None of them are, are, are God worshipers. They are actually God haters. And so the beast is going to be of this same type. Now, who will cause the Antichrist to go into perdition? You know the answer. It's Jesus when he comes back in Revelation 19. So where are we today in this whole thing? Where are we today? We are in the divided Roman kingdom, and there's an east-west division. And what you see here are these strong husky legs, iron looking like Rome. Okay? We're in an east and west division. Now, there's, today, there's an east-west division of nations. Okay? We know that. Now, this east-west division is becoming narrower and narrower as people come together. See, humanism thinks this is the answer to the world's problems. We all come together and it's going to be nirvana. Look at Marxism, communism has never worked. No matter where they put it, they have to put up boundaries to keep the people in. Okay? Freedom, people are rushing to it. Rushing to it. The next thing on the horizon is the Ten Nation Confederation. And whoever made this, just put this out of your mind right here. Okay? Ten Nation Confederation which will rise up in the future. These are the ten kingdoms that will be divided throughout the world. So, that's what's on the horizon. Verse 12 through 14, a little bit more on the ten horns. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings. These are the ten kings that are in charge of this ten-nation confederation throughout the world. Who have received no kingdom as yet. As of John's writing, they didn't exist. But they, have received, but, but they receive authority for one hour, a short period of time in history, and they'll, as kings with the beast, they'll reign with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So they will come up, they'll rise up, and then they will give their power to the beast. They will make war with the lamb. In their arrogance, they will do that. And the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now, who comes back with Jesus? The church comes back with Jesus, okay? That's, a we, that's the us. We come back. We come back with Jesus. So, John is seeing into the future this 
10 kings, this 10 nation confederation. They will receive authority for a short time. Their, their authority, they will have autonomous rule at first. They will be able to rule their little areas, not fully controlled by the beast. But listen to this. They'll be loyal to the beast, mesmerized by the beast, mesmerized by the one world religious system, yet they'll be still independent at the beginning, the first three and a half years. This will be short-lived for an hour, it says in the scripture, the first three and a half years. Then they will be forced to give up their power and authority to the beast. Now, will this be a willing giving up of power? No, because three will rebel. Three will rebel and be quickly subdued. Daniel chapter 7, 8, 7, 24, and 7, 20 say this. And I will just read to you Daniel 7, 24, because the rest of them are very similar. So listen what Daniel says thousands of years ago, predicting this. The ten horns are ten kings, as we've already described, who will arise from this kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom that was just described, the last one, Rome. East and West Division. Another shall rise up after them. Who is the another? Antichrist will rise up after this ten-nation confederation. He shall be different from the first ones, and he shall subdue three kings. So three of the ten will rebel against Antichrist. He will quickly put them down, and all of them will be submitting. But there's going to be a bad attitude of these three kings. How do we know? Because we just saw, we just came through the bold judgments, and we know that Babylon is attacked. And Babylon is Antichrist headquarters. And Babylon will be destroyed. Antichrist doesn't even go back to try to defend it as he goes tries to kill the, the Jews at Basra. We've been through that in our past teaching. But it's some surmise that it's these three kingdoms that were subdued that come from the north and attack Babylon. That's a supposition. It's a could be. Okay? It's a could be. So Antichrist will have his rule, and most of the world will fall all over themselves for the Antichrist. They're going to love him. They're, he's going to be the false Christ. Yet some of them will, not, will, will submit reluctantly. Antichrist will make war against the Lamb in verse 14. So these ten nation confederations under the control of Antichrist after the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation will then make war against Jesus coming back at the very end. Now remember where we've been. I believe the bold judgments are at the very, very end. The last month or so. They've been poured out on the earth. Antichrist knows it's his last stand. He has to kill every Jew possible. And when Jesus comes back in their hubris, in their arrogance, the earth dwellers and Antichrist will fight against Jesus coming back. So full of themselves, having bought into the satanic delusion that the Antichrist is the Christ. The world will believe that he is the Christ, the Luciferian doctrine, that the Antichrist is a true Christ. These deluded earth dwellers will make war with the true Christ, try to thwart Jesus from coming back, the Lamb will overcome them, and it's going to be shock and awe because it's not even going to be a battle. Jesus is just going to go wham, 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 and that's going to be the end of the opposition. So, there's a question that I have for you. Sin's end result. What is it? You look at sin, and well, sin ultimate end. That's right. That's, it is, I didn't get that answer, but sin's end result, according to my answer, which I, you have the correct answer, is this. It makes you crazy, it makes you delusional, and it makes you blinded to reality. You look at anybody that stays in a sinful lifestyle, and that's what eventually evolves in their lives. And Jesus will return in short order. He'll deal with the Antichrist and the false prophet. Wham! They're, they're cast alive into the lake of fire. He deals with Satan. He's bound and he's thrown into the pit for a thousand years. And he deals with the earth dwellers, and it's the sword that proceeds from his mouth that kills all the earth dwellers in opposition to him. It is quick, and it is final, and we'll see that in more detail in Revelation chapter 19, verse 19 through 21. The thing that we want to know, that we want to walk away from this whole teaching with is this. Evil 
will be dealt with. Let me say that again, because I think we're living in a world where evil is being allowed to flourish. You know why God established government, even crummy governments, was to keep humanity in order, to, to keep evil pushed down. And we don't see that today. We see evil allowed to flourish in our world today, to flourish, particularly in America. It's tragic. It's tragic. So evil will be dealt with. There will be a final dealing with this. In Revelation 11.15, I don't know if you remember this, but, but this is what was said. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. He's coming back. No more rebellion. No more lawlessness. Everything will be in order. And all I can say is hip, hip, hooray. There's a new world on the horizon, folks. So hang on tight for this ride. It'll get bumpy. It'll help you during the dark times to know there's a new world coming and Jesus is going to take care of this mess. Now, verse 15, we're going to see that the harlot has a global influence. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw, the waters are indicating the world, the expanse of the world, which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The whole world will be global. Now again, the world will love the harlot, this false religious system. It'll be a global reign, and people will follow like lemmings. Remember we talked about the lemmings, those little rodents that follow one another all the way to the cliff and fall off and die. They just follow one another. Well, picture humanity in the United States. Following one another like lemmings. I mean, we walk lockstep with whatever they're telling us. That's why we have to be discerning. That's why we have to make good judgments according and measure everything with the Word of God. In unison, the world will fall for the delusion, a satanic delusion, and they will hate the believers in Messiah. Nothing new here. Nothing new here. People groups have always hated, hated true worshipers of Messiah. That's a satanic thing. But with the restrainer gone, the Holy Spirit-filled church gone, it will crescendo to a whole new level. Now, fortunately, I believe we won't be here. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think we'll escape this. Unfortunately, if you're mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib, you get to experience all this. Now, my question has always been for these folks, how do you encourage one another with these words, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4? If we're going to be here through this, there's no encouragement for that. There's no way. The indoctrination and hate of the people of God, folks, will be off the charts then, but you can see it going in that direction today. You can see it going in that direction today. Satan hates the people of God. He always has. But he, interestingly enough, now listen to this, he will also hate this religious system, this harlot, whom he's using to his advantage as he gains power. He will use this system. And he will turn on this system in the middle of the tribulation. Watch verse 16 through 18. The destruction of this harlot. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast. These will hate the harlot. Make her desolate or destroy her. Watch how final it is. Naked, naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Why? For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill this, his purpose to be of one mind. And to give their kingdom to the beast. The beast wants all the attention. Until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city Babylon. Which reigns over the kings of the earth. World leaders again will come to hate the harlot. They will hate her. Kill her. It's, it's interesting. Satan always thinks he's in control. He always thinks he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's jostling in position. And he's going to be the one that orchestrates all this. Oh no, he couldn't be farther from the truth. God is giving the Antichrist and dwelt by Satan full religious and political control. In the middle of the tribulation, this will happen. All earthly authority will reside with the Antichrist. Again, this won't happen till the middle of the tribulation. The middle of the tribulation is the real wrath of Antichrist. The Antichrist wrath does not start with the seal judgments, as some people say. 
He is ascending to power slowly, as it says in Daniel several times, it says in Scripture. He doesn't come to full control. Those ten nations are already in existence. And then he takes them over once he's possessed by Satan himself. He becomes powerful, wants full worship, will we'll take no other competitors. So, there will be no competing worship that will be allowed. All worship of the earth dwellers must go to the Antichrist. And Antichrist will not compete with the harlot for earth dweller worship. He wants it all directed at him. No competitors. Again, the abomination of desolation will be set up. The idol in the temple. And people will be forced to worship that idol. And if you don't, boom. Dun, da, dun, dun, dun. Okay, that'll be the end. For the first three and a half years, Antichrist will have his way. Antichrist will have his way. He will have his reign for, for the last three and a half years. The bold judgments are poured out on the Antichrist. And this is interesting. Again, at the very end, now he's had the last three and a half years, he's kind of reigning with power. I think the Antichrist is feeling pretty, pretty full of himself. Okay, pretty full of himself. And then this happens. The bold judgments come. And Antichrist's kingdom is directly affected by the bold judgments. Those are the last judgments. It will be the most horrific time in history. And Jesus said this, these bold judgments would be so severe and Antichrist's response to those bold judgments and trying to kill every believer on the earth will be so severe that lest these days be cut short, no flesh would be saved alive. So Messiah has to come back. Interesting thing here is that as these people are getting these sores and boils and heat and misery during these bold judgments, there's nothing Antichrist can do about it. There's nothing Satan can do about it. The world will come to realize just how impotent, powerless Satan really is in dealing with the true God. And I'm hoping that came up on the screen. Let it just resonate in your minds. The world will come to realize just how impotent Satan really is in dealing with the true God. See, people think there's, a, there's like an equal war between good and evil. Oh no, oh no. Satan is way, da way down. He is the created being. He, God is the creator. They're not close. Okay, they're not close. Now let's have a closing application. Now you think we're going to be done pretty quick here, don't you? Yeah, closing application. Now you know that evil is here today. Everybody knows that. Okay, if you everybody raise their hand, everybody raise it. Don't have to do it, but you know evil is here today. Evil is here today. And I believe that we can see this, that evil is less and less restrained as the church models the world. Would you agree with that? See, the world has come into the, in, into the church. Evil will reach its peak when the church is gone and the Antichrist will be unrestrained. But we're in, we're in the preparatory phases of this right now. This is a coming thing. This is a coming thing. Bible prophecy tells us that there will be a one-world government and a one-world religion. It is coming, folks. We're heading full speed ahead towards that. The seeds are planted for that. We see unprecedented changes in our world today. This push towards globalism is really strong throughout the world. As never before, really. What we see today is a grand march towards the progressive agenda of a globalist utopia. That's what they think is coming. What you see with Antifa in the streets is Marxism being forced on the population. When they say burn it down, that's Marxist language. When they talk about the Great Reset, that's Marxist language to get rid of the old and put in the new Marxist regime. That's what is happening. What people will get will be quite different than what they think they're getting. Now, let me just give you an example of this. Rob Dreyer, again, in his book, Live Not by Lies, talked about Russia in the 1900s when it was being taken over by the, by the Marxists, by Lenin. Okay, he was, the big, he was the big one. The Bolsheviks, that's right. Quote, I think it's a great quote. What Russia's young artist, remember the, the colleges? It's where it starts. 
you, you get these guys in college and you, and you, you indoctrinate them. In America, it's starting way early, kindergarten on. So what Russians, young artists, intellectuals, and cultural elite hoped for and expected was the end of czar rule. The czar rule was, was, was intense, okay? They, there was an oppressed people there. Class division and religion. And the advent of a world of liber, liberalism, equality, and secularism. It's called the Great Reset. What they got instead, now this is what they got instead. History proclaims this. What they got instead was a dictatorship, gulags, which isn't goulash, it's gulags, which are prisons, okay? And the extermination of free speech and expression, communists had sold their ideology to gullible optimists as the fullest version of the thing every modern person wants was progressivism. Progressivism is simply this, that we're encouraging humanity to progress or to evolve to a different level so that we become gods, we control what's happening to us, God is divorced from the culture, and we are the highest order of everything. This is called the myth of progress. Now, this is a religion. This is a religion to these people. They're fanatically with, about it. The, the believers in the myth of progress hold that their present is better than their past and that the future will be inevitably be better than the present, progressing again to a, human, a humanistic utopia. The myth, the myth is a powerful tool in the hands of would-be totalitarians. Now, totalitarianism is when the government controls everything. You must submit to everything that the government tells you. There's no freedom. It provides a transcendent source of legitimacy for their actions and frames opposition. Listen to this. Frames opposition as backwards, ignorant, and dispensable. Anybody that opposes this new religion is backwards, intolerant, and we have to get rid of them. And you know who stands in the way? The true church. Get rid of them. Isolate them. Don't allow them to be together. Construct anything that you can to keep the people separated. Because separated, we're weaker. We're strong when we're together. Understanding how communists manipulated the myth of progress is important to grasping how today's progressives roll over the opposition. Isn't that something? Protest, tear it down. Again, that's Marxist vernacular for the restart, the do-over, the do-over. We see people today swallowing the Kool-Aid of indoctrination, and this has entered, folks, the church. And I would say the majority of the church, the world, has just streamed in, just streamed in. We see evil rising up in our own country, and guess what? It's unchecked by the government and allowed to flourish for the first time in the history of our country. We are closing our eyes and we're not addressing this. There's riots. They consistently say they're protests. That is not what's happening. This is, these are riots. We see, we see today, now I might get censored for this, but we see corrupt judges, corrupt governors, corrupt government, corrupt mayors, corrupt city councilors that are allowing this to happen in these cities. That has never happened before in the history of our country. We've had riots, but we've had people that tried to put down the riots. It wasn't just say, oh, they're just protesting. It's okay. Let them break into your stores. Let them do whatever they want. No, that has never happened. So we have our executive, legislative, judicial branches that are corrupt, but it's not just them. We have the prophets and the priests that are corrupt, just like it was in Israel in Isaiah's time. We call evil good and good evil. Now let me ask you this question. Are you uncomfortable with the changes that you're seeing around you? You would say, yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable with the indoctrination, with the controlled press? You are not getting a free flow of information. You are not. You are, any contrary view to what is being allowed to put out is censored, censored, censored. Are you uncomfortable with the indoctrination? Are you uncomfortable with the evil? Are you uncomfortable with the, with the culture calling evil good and good evil? If you are uncomfortable with that, 
Good, that's a good thing. You still see straight, okay? You're still seeing straight. Now, allow me to broach a difficult subject with you. And I don't know when's the last time you talked about this in church, but I'm going to talk about it today. Why evil? Why does God allow evil to flourish like this? You've wondered that question. You've you've thought about that, haven't you? Why is he allowing this to happen? The problem of evil and why God allows it, it's caused many to abandon their faith. Think back in time, you who are older. Billy Graham had a contemporary. His name was Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was more popular than Billy Graham. He was a phenomenal evangelist, but as he traveled the world, he saw evil in the world. And when he saw evil in the world, he could not, he could not connect the evil in the world with a good God. And eventually he abandoned his faith, he became an atheist, and he died an atheist. A tragedy. Bart Ehrman, today, he's a professor of religion in North Carolina, University of North Carolina. He is now an atheist because of evil in the world. Why would a good God allow this to happen? They lost their faith. What is the missing question that they didn't ask? And they have to know this, but somehow you must process this. Evil came into the world when sin came into the world. It's really pretty basic. You don't have to have your PhD at Princeton to get this, okay? That's where they usually go off track. When they get their PhD, then it's danger country for you. Satan is the originator of evil. Adam and Eve took the satanic bait. And death, every time you see death, disease, murders, evil, lawlessness, take it all the way back to the beginning. That isn't how God created it to be. Okay? So why does God allow evil? This is a question of the ages. This is the answer to that dilemma. Now, isn't that just shocking? Yes, I believe, at least from my little teeny perspective. You folks are made in the image of God. The imago Dei. That is a big deal. Now hear this. God is free. And because God is free, he has made you free. He's made you free beings. That is an important concept. God desired to create a people who will willingly and freely choose to worship and love him. God could have have just made puppets. Okay, is that real love? No, is that real love? Is that real, real giving yourself to somebody? No, it is not. Real love, true love cannot be forced. Mankind's freedom created the opportunity for man to choose contrary to God. And remember this. All of God's higher creation, God has given the ability to choose contrary to him. The angelic realm and the human realm. In the angelic realm, you had a third of them rebel, go with Satan. In the human realm, we have followed our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And the only way to be rescued is to be born again. Born again of the Spirit. Now, this allowed evil to come into God's perfect creation. Free will created the potential for evil. Now, I'm telling you, people will fight you on this and debate you on this, but this is the, this is, it's the only thing I can come up with as an explanation. So when you struggle with understanding God and evil and why is of life, and who doesn't, in dealing with evil, it's good to remember this. Please hear this. God does all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 this is the way I see it. It was worth it to God to create a people with the freedom to choose, knowing that they had the freedom to choose against him. Because that would be real love. Real love to be able to choose him. Things do not happen whimsically. By accident, God is behind the scenes like a great conductor. God is sovereign. God is in control. Not Satan. Not fate. Not circumstances, God. That's good to remember that when your world is starting to crumble, okay? God, we must understand and deal with the ramifications of this. Now, this is a must-know. Why God does what he does? I do not know. And neither do you. I do not know. God does not answer to me. 
I answer to him. And I must get to that level. I do not understand all the stuff that happens. I will never understand it. When I do not understand, I do have a promise that I can stand on. And you can stand on, and hopefully you have stood on this promise. Romans 8.28, and we know. That's his people. We know that God works all things for good. For those that are called according to his purpose. For those who love and are called according to his purpose. God is working out his purposes in this world. God does work out all things for his good. And I must realize this life is not about me. It is about him. I must realize this. What do we do? What do, I do? What do you do when you're confused? When you get anxious? When you get frightened, fretting, angry? We've all been there. And this might sound trite to you, but I think this is the answer to that question. We trust. We trust. Just let it resonate. Just trust. I trust in my God. I trust in Him. We trust in our God whom we know loves us. How do we know He loves us? He proved it by sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die here for us. That's a huge love, love offering. That's a love gift that we cannot imagine. We trust our God who is with us through all the challenges of life. He knows the beginning from the end. And we trust that He will get me home safely. That's what you really want. This whole thing's passing. This is passing. This is nothing. This is a, life is but a vapor. Here for a moment and go, go on. We want to get home. There's going to be an eternity. We trust in the God. Now hear this. This is important. We trust in the God of the deep waters. We trust in the God of the fire. And we trust Him to go through our problems with us. He's never promised us no problems. What was the song? He never promised me a rose garden. I didn't get that right, did I? Forget it. The rose garden song. He didn't promise us that. But Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, speaking to the nation, but I think you're going to extrapolate from that, speaking to you. Fear not. Isn't that something that resonates from God to us? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Things are changing. Fear not. Fear not. You know, there's a principle. There's a, there's a principle that says, Fear of the unknown creates anxiety. We want everything to stay static. This is not a static world. There's plenty of opportunity for us to fear. And our God says, don't fear. Don't fear. I have called you by your name and you are mine. He says he's inscribed us on the palms of his hands as in Isaiah 49, 16. This is, folks, is intimacy. This is ownership. We belong to God in a crazy world. This is good news. I belong to him. He is my God. And when you pass through the waters, now he, notice he says you're going to pass through them. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You are never alone in your journey. Never alone. Our ever-present God is with us. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I must know that through the rivers of difficulty, through the flames of life, my God will go right through it with me. That's what I have. That's what I have all the way through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what I have. My God is with me. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. The rivers of difficulty, I am not alone. This is survival information. And listen to this. Your trump card. I wasn't going to say that. This is your ace in the hole. But your trump card is this. This makes you a winner. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You kept to yours? I am the Lord, your God. Put your name there. He, he loves you. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When evil comes to my house, and it will come. It will come. None of us can avoid this. When confusion reigns in my life, what am I to do? And we already know. We got, that's right. We trust. Trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Most of you, this is your life verse. You love it. I love it too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your, it's only for those all your heart folks. Lean not into your own understanding. 
In all your ways, all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will make your path straight. He will get you through the fire. He will clear the way for you. God will make a way. Now look, we might die as we're going through this, but he will make a way and he takes me home. And that's okay. That's okay. He knows. I have an entrance time. I have an exit time. It's his purview. That's up to him. Don Moen wrote a song. God will make a way. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. And I love this. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. My God will make a way. The goal for my life while I am in here is trusting no matter what may come. Knowing God will make a way. Now let me say this. God will make a way, and you can only walk this out if you are dwelling in Christ. If you are making your home in Christ. If you're a cursory Christian, the first, thing, the first little ripple that comes your way, you're going to be all tremulous. And it's the only way to make it through is to dwell, make your home in Christ. And trusting no matter what may come, knowing I will come out on the other side a stronger person, guess what? Able to help others with the experience that I've had. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says these words. You don't go through this stuff for nothing. You don't go through it for nothing. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all, all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from our God. I go through something. God has comforted me. I know what it's like, and I can help you through your struggle. You then can help somebody else along the way. Folks, yes, there is a purpose for evil. God gave us a choice. There is a purpose for our troubles. And remember this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. This I can trust. You are with me. God will make a way. Jesus will return. And I just this is like, if you never said an amen, just get ready for an amen right now. Okay, you can say it out loud. Jesus will destroy all evil. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, he will. He will all death, all disease, all lawlessness, and God will make a way. Come what may, I will trust in the Lord until I die, knowing God will make a way. Isn't that great? That's great. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Lord, I admit it that this is a difficult section of Scripture, but Lord, I think you helped us navigate through us. And I, Lord, if there's anything that we get out of this, help us to know that our Jesus is coming back. Evil will be dealt with definitively. There will be an end to this whole thing. And one of these days, we'll all, this will all be over, and we will all be home safe with our God. Thank you for the promises that you give us. We cling on to them, Lord. And Lord, while we're here, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and may we stand fast, occupy, resist, and fight the good fight of faith until you take us home. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.